Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The summer of 2023 was by far the hottest ever recorded globally, according to the European Union Copernicus Climate Change Service. Copernicus is a division of the European Union Space Program, and it has records going back to 1940 uh, in regards to climate change. But in the UK and the United States, global records go back uh, to the mid-1800s. The report says the temperature on Earth was on average 16.7 degrees in the months of June, July and August. What's that mean? Well, the past three months have been the warmest in approximately 120,000 years, so effectively in human history. August 2023 was the warmest August on record globally and warmer than all other months except for July of 2023. Heat waves are experienced in multiple regions of the Northern Hemisphere, including Southern Europe, the Southern US and Japan. Well above average temperatures occurred over Australia, several South American countries and around much of Antarctica. Locally, of course, we saw a very busy wildfire season. Again, joining us now to discuss to uh, discuss the Copernicus Report is Andrew Weaver, professor in the School of Earth and Ocean Sciences at the University of Victoria and, of course, the former leader of the BC Green Party. Andrew, thank you for joining us today. Oh, pleasure, Giles. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, lots to talk about. Um, what do you take from this summer locally and globally? Globally, it was a uh, um, quite, quite significant uh, series of very extreme events. You know, we have not just confined to the uh, record-setting wildfire seasons in British Columbia and Canada as a whole, but when you go to Europe, you start to see that you know, Greece was absolutely hammered with wildfire, and now it's getting hammered with floods as a heat dome uh, centers across the central Europe. And corresponding with that, you get the rain rains downstream, and that's what they're getting in, uh, in, in Greece. We had you know, wildfires in Europe as well. I mean, it, it's, it's been everywhere you look. Antarctica just beyond shattered, like five standard deviations beyond normal um, sea ice minimum. And we, you know, we can expect more of the same uh, in Australia as they start to head to their summer. We'll be reading newspaper stories about Australia's wildfires and, and responses. We continue to, to warm year after year. Um, and so that, that's my, you know, the take home is this is what we've been saying we should expect as a climate science community for many decades. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's no surprise what happened to those in the climate science community. The surprise ultimately amongst climate scientists like me is that people are surprised because we're not surprised. I know there's still these, you know, curmudgeons will come out of the, out of the, the, the dust and start talking, you know, uh, natural variability and nonsense like that. But we've known for a very long time that this is what we should come to we have been more of in the future. We we've been discussing the issue of a, a 1.5 percent degree Celsius increase. Uh, that number is not possible to limit limit the increase to 1.5 degrees now. No, it's it's it's. I mean, it's, there's so much there's so much um, hopeful misinformation out there. You know, the whole 1.5. We've already warmed to 1.1 degrees. You know, if we were to immediately stop combusting all fossil fuels everywhere in the world tomorrow, we'd warm by about half a degree because what would happen is the cooling effects of those aerosols that also result with a bunch of uh, carbon dioxide, I mean, uh, uh, fossil fuel combustion, these are the 
little smoky dust particles that create smog and things like that, they'll rain out. And that means that we feel the full effects of the carbon dioxide, which is uh, we, ha- we haven't actually felt because of the cooling effect of these other agents. So we know we've warmed by 1.6. We know we're going to have a permafrost carbon feedback that'll add another 0.1 or 0.2. So we're at 1.7, you know, 1.8 degree guaranteed warming. And that's assuming we, we get on with it now. So, so we're not going to keep below two degrees you know, when I, you just mentioned that the average world temperature in August was 16 to something degrees. Well, when I started in this business, the average temperature we would we would try to to replicate in our climate model was 14 degrees, right? So that's two degrees lower than where we are wow. at least in this August. So, I mean, it's it, it it really is a very serious issue, and and the cognitive dissonance in broader society is quite stunning. You know, for me to be able to 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 to, to watch people continue to not take this as serious as they need to, at the same time as, uh, you know, you're just continuing on with more of the same. Well, I look at BC, this nonsense about somehow we're going to save China from themselves with LNG is in essence us saying that we are not really going to care about this climate problem because we're going to keep trying to produce um, carbon products that will continue to be combusted and put carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, mm-hmm. which will lead to more and more of the same down the road in much greater amounts. Let me ask you, I'm gonna, I want to focus on a couple of local po- uh, policies. I mean, you, you, I think we've done a good job at encapsulating the challenges globally, but let's talk about yeah. something local because people can relate to it. Two things. Number one, Nanaimo is uh, another community that uh, has now moved forward to say we're going to ban uh, the use of natural gas for new construction for primary heating. Uh, there, and it was a 5-4 vote, very contentious, and it follows the lead of Victoria, Saanich, and uh, State of New York, and many others. Metro Vancouver is headed in that direction. The city of Richmond's already proposed it to the Metro Vancouver board. Uh, a very uh, vigorous and contentious conversation there as well. Not yet implemented, but could potentially be. Uh, is this the right way to go? Because in this show, we have had potential. Lots of uh, pushback on me yesterday and others who have talked about this. Your thoughts, do you think this is the right way to go in regards to natural gas? This is great public policy, in my view. Hats off to the city of Nanaimo for doing this. What they're not saying is that you have to tear down your house and and immediately get rid of natural gas. What they're saying is in new construction, Mm -hmm. we're not going to allow for natural gas to be a primary source of heating. What they're saying in that is that we understand that climate change is a very, very serious issue. And we understand that we need to be part of the solution. And so what we're going to do is be part of that solution. And it's not as if you can't find costly alternative uh, sort of cost-effective alternatives you know instead of putting in natural gas heating put in a heat pump heating system we don't have to worry about minus 30 to 40 degree temperatures like they might have to worry in the arctic these are very efficient systems here and they operate cheaply and they give you the co-benefit of cooling in the summer Mm -hmm. so they're also not saying you have to no longer have natural gas for your for your uh, uh, on-demand hot water or they mentioned primary heating and and that's a good step forward. I mean, that's the way we advance good public policy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I kudos to them. And there's, there's lots of examples like this. You know, we, we subsidize and have subsidized and continue to subsidize the fossil fuel sector year after year to the tune of billions in tax credit. And, you know, enough is enough. Uh, we, we're, we need to start decarbonizing our energy systems. Mm-hmm. And okay, there are those in society who say, I don't care about the future, I'm just living here and now. And that's a legitimate public uh, stakeholder response. But the overwhelming majority of our science actually believe that we do owe something, sorry, overwhelming majority of our, of our um, society 
actually I believe that we do owe future generations the same quality of the environment that we inherited from our forefathers and foremothers, mm-hmm. and that it behooves us to act now and not like set the dumpster fire today that they're going to have to deal with down the road. So, mm-hmm. so most people want governments to do something. Uh, public opinion poll after public opinion poll shows 80% of people wanting this, but sadly is the dysfunctional political rhetoric actually does not actually let us debate these things that we end up always voting on health economy and jobs right because that's what affecting people today mm-hmm. and so you know even in canada i just i shake my head when i see the polling and see mr polyev and his party who are in essence the home of the conspiracy theorists and deniers of climate change, have no public policy in that regard, want to remove one of the most effective pieces of public policy, the carbon tax, which, as you know, in British Columbia was brought in by a right-wing government because it's actually a good economic instrument. I mean, this is the kind of knee-jerk populism that we have to call out, because that's what it is. It's not good public policy. It's knee-jerk populism trying to get uh, in a quest for power, not a quest for good public policy. So let's touch on that just for a moment. Uh, I get a lot of calls on this show, uh, and sometimes Mr. Polyev has been on to it. They've gone gone at it on this issue as well, uh, and from the public as well. And some have said, look, the carbon tax isn't changing the public's mood, isn't changing behavior. Others have said, you know, if you can make it revenue neutral and show people that 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 it is revenue neutral you you can move forward with it in your mind carbon tax still works because the price of carbon can change behavior yeah that's that's actually not true what people are saying it's it's demonstrably untrue and if people actually i would encourage each person who phones in and gives you that concern Mm -hmm. to actually ask the following question how much do i receive as a gst or carbon tax rebate every year the overwhelming majority of Canadians who will actually get more money in their pocket from the refunds, the dividends associated with carbon pricing, than they actually have to pay out during the course of the year. Where, what the carbon tax is doing is it's, it's, it's actually a, a very soft instrument. It's saying to people, we're not going to ban this, but if you want to continue to pollute, you're going to have to pay. It's the polluter pay model. And we're going to send a signal to the market to give the market price certainty as to the direction society has to head, which is that this price will continue to go up. Look to BC as an example at our electric vehicle adoption. Look to California as well. We have got remarkable shifts. You have more money left in your pocket to spend on cleaner ways. Look at our massive shift towards heat pumps in BC. This is actually having a very real effect. And so... To, to suggest otherwise is is essentially to suggest, you know, essentially it's another form of denial. And, 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 and that is, you know, that is basically what's going on. I'm looking out at what's going on in eastern Canada. Again, you know, conservative rhetoric. They've never put a piece of climate policy on the table since Brian Mulroney, who was actually quite a leader in this regard. They're basically a, a collective of oil and gas sympathists, apologists, and 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 um, climate deniers, as far as I can tell, in their government since Mr. Harper took over. Yeah. Andrew, and, Andrew, I'm going to yeah. cut you off right there. Don't go. Uh, can you take a couple uh-huh. of calls from our, from our audience yeah, on this? You. If you're just joining us, we're speaking to Andrew Weaver, professor in the School of Earth and Ocean Sciences at the University of Victoria. We're just talking about climate change, and particularly this summer, what we've seen here locally uh, and globally. And, of course, we talked a little bit about uh, carbon tax. Is it still 
uh, effective uh, as a means of uh, changing behavior. And of course, uh, uh, the issue of banning natural gas as a primary heating source uh, in communities like Nanaimo. Let's go to the open line. Let's go to Paul and Burnaby. Hi, Paul. Yeah, uh, hi, hi, guys. Um, uh, Dr. Weaver, I'm in reality right now. I'm making pizzas, and they're going to go into an oven that's uh, fueled by gas and then and gas vehicles. Right. I mean, there's no other alternative. And yet I'm being taxed on this uh, climate change tax, and yet I, the government hasn't given me an alternative. And, and, and on top of that, like when I'm on the road, a Tesla goes by, which is subsidized by the government, and it pays no GST, no PSE, None of the fuel taxes, no uh, transit tax, nothing. So here we are stuck in the middle of nowhere. And we got thank God Burnaby hasn't lost his mind yet. But we got municipal government coming after us, provincial government, federal government, and and you there's no alternative. This is the thing I get. I would love to. Oh, by the way, BC Hydro did an audit and said we don't get any more power. We're already at three uh, four hundred amps. And they can't give us any more power, so I can't even upgrade my equipment to electric ovens, even if I wanted to. Okay, That's Paul. Barely, yeah, thanks. Thanks for your thank you, question, Andrew. What do you what do you say to that? I mean, Paul's uh, uh, you know very uh, uh, not happy with what's been going on here. Yeah, I mean, this is what uh, the purpose of the carbon tax is to add a price to carbon if you want to continue using it. Paul could actually eliminate his carbon tax immediately, 100%, by picking up the phone, phoning Terra, uh, Fortis and saying, or going online and saying, I'd like to get renewable natural gas. And Fortis will re- are required to put natural gas that's coming from renewable sources into the stream. That's what I did, right? So you, can, you can still get renewable natural gas. It's about turning over capital stock with time. That is the critical aspect of the carbon pricing is that we have to convert all i mean we won't be able to actually maintain our urban civilizations with rural food production if we don't deal with it because we'll have a complete collapse of our supply chains because of climate change problems like the question i would say to people like paul is it's it's too costly not to maybe not to you today but certainly to your children if you have any or their children as well. Uh, there are other options, too. I, I don't believe that BC Hydro can, can't provide more power. BC Hydro desperately trying to get people to install heat pumps left, right, and center. And in the Nanaimo policy, there was nothing mentioned about, uh, about you know, barbecue natural gas or propane natural gas. And again, the carbon pricing is, is insignificant based on the amount that the price of natural gas has actually dropped. We, have, we see larger swings in summer versus winter driving season changes than we do in terms of uh, uh, carbon pricing. Everyone likes to blame, blame the carbon tax. But the real issue here is supply and demand. That's the big cause of swings in, in fossil fuel. You don't have those swings in electricity. You can actually plan better your business because you have greater certainty on electricity prices than you do on, say, natural gas prices in many cases. We're running out of time here. I'm going to go to our next caller here, Josh in Vancouver. Hi, Josh. We don't got a lot of time, my friend. Sure. Not a climate change denier. Let me just tell you something, though. Here's what I and a lot of people probably don't agree with carbon tax for. One cargo ship can put out as much emissions as 20 million vehicles. That's a fact. That's not a fake number. So when we get you know electric vehicles and things like that driven down our throat, yet we ship all our stuff across seas with all these horrible polluters, we do nothing about them. That's the issue, I think. Josh, That's thank you. Like 
Uh, All of the above. I agree. So what we've seen in the global shipping industry is we're starting to see a transition to, first of all, mm-hmm. they're re- reducing the amount of sulfur in the, in the bunker fuels that are being used uh, from environmental reasons. We're starting to see the emergence of electric uh, transportation, even in, at sea. Notice BC Ferries just announced for purchasing four more uh, island-class v- vessels that are going to be electric power. They're doing that in, in lots of places in Europe. So it, it's about giving the, the thing about the carbon and I, maybe this is what, what the caller missed, is it actually by going up and sending a signal to the market that this is going to cost you more, so you better innovate now and find the solutions. And that's exactly what, how the shipping industry is responding. It's the same in the aviation industry as we start to see the emergence of more uh, uh, sustainable aviation fuel and R&D into other sources of power and planes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it actually incentivizes uh, innovation, and that's what c- creates change. And so it's uh, you know, the consumer may pay a little bit more, but, you know, you you can conserve a little bit more. Yeah. Andrew, uh, we've run out of time, my friend. I really appreciate your time. Always a pleasure. We're going to have you on yeah. again because it is an issue that comes up uh, over and over again. And I love having you on because there's lots of questions there. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks again.